Good evening, everyone. Another midweek episode of Sticks in the Six, episode 149. We're slowly approaching that 150 mark. Of course, boys, brought to you by the fine folks at the Indie Ale House, the Hockey Podcast Network, and DraftKings. We've got a great guest coming up tonight, uh, Mike Agello, coming on to talk some Leafs, some Morgan Riley, and a lot of fun stuff for the week ahead uh, with a, what looks like a five-game suspension, but we'll get into that shortly. Before we uh, bring him on, Alex, how you doing this week, buddy? Doing good, man. First and foremost, I've, do you guys ever just get the urge to just sit back and listen to the entire intro music play out before we start talking? Because that's a damn good song. Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> like, Always. Every, time, every time the music fades out, I'm like, man, I really wish that... Uh, I really wish that we could just let this play for like three more minutes because I always get into the zone and then it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm here to talk hockey. So um, it's an absolute like track that gets you hyped up every single time. It is. It is. Uh, otherwise, things have been good, man. Uh, it's been a busy couple of days. Obviously, every time the Leafs play, I feel like you wake up the following morning feeling a different emotion. So um, just a lot of uh, from a hockey fan perspective, there's been a lot of that. And uh, obviously, just uh, life in general has been super busy, but uh, I'm taking off for uh, a week in BC on Friday, which I'm looking forward to. So, uh, uh, yeah, things are uh, things are shaping up pretty nicely over at uh, Hobson HQ. Nice. I had to ask you about the uh, the canned chicken that you had uh, that oh, you posted to don't Twitter. Eat, don't eat <laughs> Never try vending machine chicken, man. Honestly, oh. brutal. That was the, like, I'm not even exaggerating. It was one of those things where you start eating it and it tastes fine. And then you swallow it and you're like, I shouldn't have put that in my body. What are those regrettable things that you shouldn't have done? The things you do for that radio station. I tell you, I tell you, man, I'm a young buck in the industry. I got to get my feet wet wherever I can. That's right. That's right. Peter, how you doing this week, buddy? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I really don't know if I could top canned chicken. Cause, uh, yeah, but, um, no, things are going good, man. Um, you know, obviously a lot to get to with the Maple Leafs, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and a lot of anger in Leafs Nation right now because, I mean, basically the last four days have been nothing but Morgan Riley talk, and I know we're going to get to it very soon, but yeah, very very quiet on my end. I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't have very anything interesting to talk about when this happens, and when I do, it's just like that one-time thing, and then it's all completely gone. I need to get out a little bit more, just just, just a bit. Hey, I uh, I have a quick story for you before we kick it off. Here is um, I had uh, had the kids in the car this week driving down one of the main roads here in London, and this is why you don't have road rage, people. So I had a guy that I, I pulled into the left lane. I, I you know blinker checked the blind spot, but he was obviously cruising up a little bit faster than he should have been. Throws me the old the old honk as long as he could hold it on, and then. Um, Tried to tried to do the pull out and pull back in front and slam on the brakes. Little did he know we were driving up to a red light and he clipped the car that was stopped. Oh, in front of him. so I just drove past him, you know, because I do have Karma. the kids in the car, so you got to behave a little bit. I drove past him, just did the old oops <laughs> and kept driving. But no, man, it's <laughs> should have done the slow clap, though. Yeah, I yeah, was like, even a slow a slow clap or like a thumbs up. I think would be really, <laughs> yeah. really disrespectful after. So something. there you go. That's my uh, that's my donkey of the week. But um, <laughs> anyways, 
we let's uh let's bring mike on uh mike agello uh welcome to the show if you don't know on x or twitter whatever you call it it's uh mike in buffalo he's host of off the post radio and loves to talk some leaf hockey welcome to the show mike this is your second time and we appreciate you coming on Pleasure. Good evening, gentlemen. And uh, if I was in that situation, I would have raised a digit, but not my thumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we all would have. Right. In the ring finger, just to show that you're married? Right? Yeah. <laughs> tea, tea, tea. Go have some tea. There you go. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He's very kindness. sophisticated with that. Mm. Well, Mike, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest conversation starter of the week when it comes to the Maple Leafs is Morgan Riley. Five games, appropriate, not appropriate. The response... What was your take on the whole breakdown of the play? Well, um, I mean, obviously when the in-person hearing was announced on Sunday, my first reaction was patently absurd because, um, and I <clears throat> I detailed this in my uh, blog on Hockey Buzz on Monday using a number of different video clips. If you use the comparable, and I was at the game, the Heritage Classic in Hamilton when uh, Austin Matthews cross-checked Rasmus Dahlin, it was a more forceful and more dangerous, in a way, cross-check because he cross-checked Dahlin on the neck, um, and he got two games. To my mind, the whole reason for the length of the suspension was it was on Hockey Night in Canada. It was in retribution for a Bush League act by an idiot in Ridley Grigg. And uh, Riley hit him on the shoulder and it rode up to hit him in the jaw. Now, you can factor in injury, which he wasn't injured. He practiced the next day. You can factor in a number of things. But in my mind, it was retaliation and that's the reason why the in-person and it was on national tv and sorry and i'll put you know take off my blue and white glasses here for a second because it was toronto and the league likes the virtue signal and you know now david perron got suspended for six games for a for a similar uh, retribution act on artem zub which was complete idiocy because zub was not the guy who knocked dylan larkin down so he got the wrong guy but then in this instance riley got the right guy and he got a guy who did something that even a veteran player like claude Giroux on his own team couldn't defend mm-hmm. so uh the act was not uh i mean greg was fine and riley you know it was a penalty five minute major game misconduct fine there was only five seconds left in the game so you know if you wanted to suspend him for a game or two i get it but five was over officious and the five and the most dastardly thing of this whole thing was five games not six because God forbid Gary Bettman would be undercut by an independent arbitrator who would say, this is bull crap. They went five. So he's the final ruling on this. And of course he won't undercut George Peros, who must be still having Colton or flashbacks. <laughs> you know, it was Michael Bunting with a three game suspension, which I thought was ridiculous. You know, one or two with three, you know, so, I mean, okay. I mean, I, I realize that they're, you know, everybody from, 
the Overdrive guys, to Kipper and Bourne, and anybody who's on the radio right now, Jeff Merrick, um, who are talking about this, most of them think that five was ridiculous, mm-hmm. but there's you know, there's nothing to be done. It's not going to be reduced. Someone, but, sorry, sorry, Alex. I'm going to jump in just real quick here. Um, I'm sure we've all seen it on, on Twitter. Jeff Vayette's uh, breakdown of, of the suspensions since George Barrows has taken yeah, over. That graphic. Leafs, in terms of instances, um, they're number one. In terms of games, I believe they're number two to Boston. I could be wrong there. No, but right. um, I, I just, like, put those blue and white glasses back on and <laughs> – I mean, we we got to look at it from forget the homerism standpoint, but the fact that there's no consistency within the league. I think this is something, and Alex wrote about this on on um, Leafs Nation that this is this is something that's been a constant issue with the league since Peros has taken over. Well, that's the big thing, I think. Uh, I, and you know what, fans of other teams and and media markets will always point to that take as being homerism and being biased and oh no one you know everyone thinks that the, their league's against them etc cetera, etc cetera. but I don't see anybody I, like I, I don't know I'd say the, the the amount of people I say saying it's a Leafs thing and the amount of people saying it's a consistency thing and we just want to all follow the same rule book I think that there's a lot more people on that side and then you just you factor in that Morgan Riley is apparently the second worst infraction to have, or sorry, apparently the second Morgan Riley's probably committed the second worst infraction of the year. Apparently, if you go by how long they've got uh, that they've been dishing out these suspensions for, and I think there's just certain elements, like Sheldon Keith said, you have extra eyes on it, like he said, Mike, because of Hockey Night in Canada, and because you know ho- Toronto is the hockey mecca of, of of Canada and of North America, you could even say. So obviously, there's going to be some more eyes on it, but I think just the the process and the amount of speculation that there was leading up to the fine being announced made it sound really, it sounded, it sounded fishy because you've got Elliot Friedman. Who's one of the highest status insiders in the NHL tagging player safety minutes after it happens, which I know that a tag on Twitter is not going to do all that much, but still you've never seen him do that for any other suspensions. And then, you know, Darren Dreger leaks on insider trading the other day that apparently this, like the, it was announced before Morgan Riley even knew how long he was going to be suspended for. It just feels like, like the entire, it it's, it's just, it feels like a really, really weird situation. And it felt like it was more for pers for Peros's personal gain than it was for the greater good of the league. And I think that's the, that's the part that everyone's got troubles with because, you know, I saw a great thread on Twitter today. Someone threw together a whole thread of every, not every, but, long list of cross checks to the face that have happened over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And none of them were over one game and some of them were only a fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where you look back, how many cross checks to the face have commanded a suspension of five games or more Riley and Perron. Sure. And, uh, but what I don't understand is what really separates those ones from all of the other ones that have happened. You see the one of Joel Edmondson getting Wayne Simmons in the side of the face. There was the one of, uh, Jimmy, Alex, v, yeah, Jimmy VC on Al, or Alex Chase on and Jimmy VC. Yep. That one was ridiculous. But 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 this is this is the this is the thing that that really irks me. And by the way, Kevin Weeks uh, from ESPN broke it. Yeah. He was the first one. And yeah, I mean, apparently he broke it before the Leafs found out, before the PA found out, and before Riley found out. So. You know, I don't know what the whole purpose of that was, but that's a bit that's a bit absurd. But 
the Riley high stick or cross check, excuse me, wasn't even the worst offense of the day. Nikita Zadorov, who, you know, yeah. a lot of people would like to see him on the leaps next year for just the whole whole reason because he's a physical guy and strikes fear in the hearts of uh, the opposition. The elbow on Lucas Raymond was predatory. I mean, he crossed the he crossed into the middle, hit him with the elbow up in the up in the jaw or or the head. He got two games almost immediately. And Riley for that. I mean, that's the whole problem. It's for that. It's not for a stick swinging incident. It's not Ryan. It's not uh, Chris Simon using his stick like a baseball bat on on Ryan Hallwig. It's a cross check that we see almost every game. It's the fact that it's retaliation, it's Battle of Ontario, and it's the leaps and the and the and the NHL Department of Player Safety went. That's what they did. Yeah, and that's kind of what I've been getting as well. And you know, I think the other thing that I, it's obviously been mentioned a lot, but it needs to be mentioned again is is the history. Morgan Riley, up until I think what was it a week or two ago, hadn't even taken a penalty on the year. He was one of the front runners for the Lady Bing. I was going to say the Lady yeah. Bing, yeah. Like, yeah. and then you look back at someone yeah. like Jacob Truba, for example, and I, I love the O Dog quote saying that he went to top golf on Trent Frederick's face because that is what he did. He took his stick and he swung it like an axe and hit him in yeah. the face. And you know, sure. You could say that a, a cross check, I guess, if you're, if you're putting both hands to it, could do more damage. But either way, you're swinging a, a wooden stick at somebody or a composite stick at someone's head. I like. I, I feel like there's not really that much of a difference. And for someone like Jacob Truba, who feels like he gets fined or suspended at least twice a year, you know, he's making eight million dollars a year. The five thousand dollar fine. I did the math on it. If you're making fifty thousand dollars a year, the equivalent of that fine for you would be thirty bucks. So if, if I go outside right now and cross check someone in the face with a hockey stick and there's a cop watching me and he comes over to me and he hands me fine, that says $30, go get me a case of beer and just don't do it again. I'm going to do it again. Here's a quarter. Here's my fine. <laughs> right. Seriously. That's that. That's what it is. So yeah, I, I, I agree. The whole thing is, has been absurd. I, I honestly, like if there had been a precedent set a while ago where cross checks to the face or hits to the head at all are minimum five games going forward, you won't see me here complaining about it. But when you see so many similar infractions go for one game, two games, not even, not even that a fine of $5,000, it just, it gets really hard to ignore after a while. And it's the like, consistency is just the cry. I was just about to say that the big thing for me is the hip is the hypocrisy in all of this Yes, where you get the sense side you're hearing like all of the media saying it is a vicious cross check to the head and everything like that. And you're seeing that, well, it, we understand that it was bad. We understand that maybe Riley could have gone about it the, a different way instead of cross checking it. Sure. But the fact that it rode up, it wasn't the main point of contact. It's not like he was viciously attacking his head. He got him in the shoulder and it just kind of awkwardly went up. The fact of the matter is there's, they're playing it off. Like it was the most vicious thing that we have seen all season. And I'm, and Alex, you mentioned the Trent, uh, the uh, Jacob Truba swing at Trent Frederick. There's even a hit for uh, Rasmus Anderson earlier this season on Patrick Line, which that I think only got two or three games. And I, I could be wrong with that length of suspension yeah. as well. Four, four. So Morgan Riley's one that didn't involve in an injury because Patrick Line was injured on that one. Mm-hmm. That got more, that got less of a suspension than one of a player that didn't get injured. And this is where the whole entire consistency issue comes in where it's like, if that is the precedent for any, even if it's an accidental and it wasn't the main point of contact, it should be a minimum five games. 
no matter what, no matter if that was your intention or not. And the fact that they're so just going to overlook this, just like they overlooked the whole entire Jason Spezza thing where Neil well, Pionk was the one intentionally injuring Rasha Sandin. He goes after him and then he gets six games, but it got reduced. It's just that the whole entire consistency and hypocrisy around this whole entire thing is just a little bit nauseating because you're telling me that, again, Claude Giroux probably wasn't taking a side on that. And then really, Greg, he basically talked for the first time and he's saying that, you know, he was basically very quiet. He was watching what he was saying because I think we all know what kind of happened there. And the fact is it's there's going to be no consistency and if there's going to happen for like let's say another player on another team does the exact same thing you could guarantee that everyone is going to clip this incident send it to dops and they're probably just going to do whatever they want like throwing darts on a board because hey why not here's where the double standard really irks me and you mentioned the spezza incident in winnipeg Okay, Rasmus Sandin hits Blake Wheeler in a previous game. I think it was in April. It was the it was the year when the it was the, just just the Canadian division. He hits him with a clean what I call a double, a double cheek check. The Nicholas Cronwall special, it. and it yeah. was beautiful. It was a beautiful check. He knocked the <laughs> Kelly, and uh, that was the that was the Jets captain. So Pionk decides he's going to get a little retribution on the guy who nailed his captain. In the, ne- in the next opportunity, which was, I think, in December of 21. And he not only hits Sandine, he takes his knee out, and he was out for weeks. Um, so that was an act of retribution that resulted in an injury, and he got two games. Spezza goes back at him, and as Pionk is falling, the knee hits Pionk in the head, and he gets six. Mm-hmm. And then it's reduced to four and that don't, you know, don't think that the six reduced to four because everybody was saying, well, Spets has never been suspended. Just like Riley has never been suspended. And you know that people were going to start saying, well, Riley is a clean player. He's never, you know, he's virtuous. You know, he's so virtuous. He's marrying somebody who's named virtue. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you know, like, come on. Um, and, but they avoided that by giving him five. There's nothing. There's no way there's, no, you know, no, Gary Bettman will not overrule George Peros at all. He won't. He's. I don't think he's ever done it except for. I think he did it on the Spezza thing because they knew the arbitrator was going to, and I think they waited until he had already sat out five games. Or there was another suspension where he finally he overturned something, or it was overturned, but it was after the player had served more than the original suspension. So I mean, this is it's a joke. Um, there's nothing that the Leafs can do. They appealed it. The NHLPA appealed it. It's not going to do anything. They're not going to reduce it. So, you know, uh, first of all, Mike, was that virtue joke in your back pocket or did you just, yeah, no, I just thought thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, you know, I think the last thing that I have to add to it anyways, is that I, and I don't know, not, not everyone might agree with me with this and that's fine. But from the perspective of a hockey fan, I actually loved what Greg did. Not I still don't get me wrong. Still disrespectful. Still an yeah. idiot. And that's the that's the Leaf fan of me speaking. Mm-hmm. But you know, fifteen years from now, if this spawns another, if this sparks the rivalry and kind of spawns because they don't play again until next year. Mm-hmm. So if this sparks the rivalry, and you know, Ottawa ideally, well, ideally, who knows if they're ever going to make the playoffs? But if they ever get back there, I mean, 
I think it would be, I think it'd be a great kind of starting point um, for the, uh, for the battle of Ontario. And, you know, I know that if the situations were reversed, if Nick Robertson did that to the senators, which I can't yeah. imagine he would, he's not that type of player, but if he did that and then Brady Kachuk came and cross-checked him in the face, you'd have Leaf fans supporting what Robertson did and you would have Sens fans supporting what Kachuk sure. did. And sure. so that's why I really want to hammer home the point that it's just, it's the consistency issue that really pisses me off yes. more than anything else. Because, you know, Greg, yeah, I saw that happen on TV. I was like, what a clown. But I'll tell you right now, if Riley didn't do that, and if they just kind of like sulked their heads and skated off the ice, I would have been more pissed at the Leafs than I was at Greg. Please, there, and- are, there, there, there are people who are pissed off that uh, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Nylander didn't do anything. They didn't jump in because, you know, the okay, the, the, the entitled core four. I mean, and, and I agree with your point. If if the one thing that comes from this is a sparking of the Battle of Ontario, you know, as a as a, an observer of this team over recent years, and it's not just like the Shanahan Dubis Keefe era. It's going back years to when this team is in the habit of losing to the Atlanta Thrashers or the Arizona Coyotes. How many like um, they would have finished? probably close to where Boston did last year had they not lost to Arizona, to Buffalo, to Ottawa, to Chicago, to the to that that road trip where they lost to San Jose and Anaheim. This team plays up to the to the level of the best in this league and then loses to the dregs of this league. And I the only thing I can say is that they take it for granted and they think that they can walk over these teams. That maybe it's a sense of a, you know, psychological entitlement. All I know is that it's irksome to the fan base that this team loses to crap teams that are at the bottom of the NHL standings. They've already they lost to Chicago, a team that is trying to finish last. They want to finish at the top of the Macklin Celebrini sweepstakes, and they lost to them twice. So what is it about that? What is the disconnect with this team that they keep losing to these bad teams? And maybe if this sparks the Battle of Ontario, if it gets back to the Daniel Albertson, Darcy Tucker days, you know, I still remember when Mark Bell knocked Daniel Albertson like out like a light. Um, and that was like a highlight because everybody hated Daniel Albertson. Well, if it gets back to those days, then, OK, this is the price that we pay. That's, Mike, you that's just exactly mentioned- where I stand. Sorry, Peter. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was, just, I was just about to mention that you mentioned the spark of, you know, reigniting or even Alex mentioned that too, reigniting the rivalry of the Battle of Ontario. But as we saw in the St. Louis Blues game, that was like a completely different shift of the mentality that we saw previously. And that was probably one of their best games from beginning to the very end in terms of, you know, being smarter with the puck and their management defensive zone play. I just want to get your take. I mean, I even wrote about this earlier this morning where this hits or incident slash suspension could be a wake up call for this team. Do you feel like, and I know we've probably said this many times before where they need that wake up call. They need that moment to say, Hey, you know what? This kind of play is not acceptable. We got to turn it around. Did, is, is it going to take that Roddy suspension or even being out, you know, Tavares and Marner. So you're out three of your key guys mm-hmm. to do that, to try and turn the tide down the stretch. Yeah, I mean the performance yesterday was surgical. I mean it was it was they you know, it was methodical. It was you know they had to play a low event because you know three of the top five players on the roster were out. 
Uh, you know, they got a, a Herculean performance out of Bobby McMahon, who I've always liked as a player. And I would, you know, hope that he keeps playing on the fourth line because I think, you know, he has size and he has speed and he, I think he's a good depth guy. Um, but yeah, they had to play that game because, you know, because of the fact that they didn't have Tavares and Marner. But last year, if you remember, when they were without Brody and without Riley and Muzzin was out, um, you know, they played their best hockey of the year. That was when Matt Murray was standing on his head and, and Samsonov played well. And, you know, they they walked into, I think it was D- Dallas uh, and, and, you know, they were one of the hottest teams in the, in the league and, and Murray stood on his head and, you know, Justin Hall and, you know, Mark Giordano were their top pairing. And it's like when, when Justin Hall is playing 25 minutes that the score isn't eight, nothing against you, you're, it's a miracle. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've, They've sucked it up and played some of their best hockey when some of their best players are out. But when they're all back together, that just disconnect comes back because they think that they can play that wide open, undisciplined hockey that they like to play. And they can play a disciplined game. They just don't have the discipline to continue playing a disciplined game. Yeah. Um, So obviously the Riley speculation and this whole this whole conversation about Riley Grieg has been beaten into the ground and then beaten into the ground again. So uh, I want to pivot away from this and talk about something else. And Mike, you're somebody that covers the Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres Mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's been three games now that the Leafs have had scouts uh, or Bradshaw living himself watching Sabres games. And I I don't really recall the Leafs being huge trade partners with Buffalo. I'm actually kind of struggling to remember the last time they swung a deal with the Sabres with third tackle. There was Dominic Moore for a second round pick. The the, the last impactful deal uh, was the I would think probably well there was the Felino deal, but this was that was in the late eighties or early nineties. But no, it was it was probably the Grant Fuhr deal for uh, Kenny Johnson, and the first round pick was Kenny Johnson, Dave Anderchuk. Uh, that was uh, ninety. Three, So, yeah, that was the last major deal between the two teams. So, yeah, they don't make too, too many trades all that often. But I don't know. I feel like every year around the trade deadline, we see um, we see that scouts are in attendance at certain games. We always get the list of people who have reps watching, you know, X game here and there. And it never you never really hear of Leaf staff or I'm not just Leaf staff, but just. I don't know. Having reps in the stands to watch a specific team three times in a row, I feel like seems like a lot. So from someone who watches both teams, do you see any life or any possibility of a trade happening between these two teams, even though they're in the division together? And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of players who might fit the bill. And the well, first one to come to mind is an Eric Johnson type. I mean, I, I want to know where you stand on this. Yeah, well, I, I don't know about three. I know personally, because I've been to every Sabres game this year, I know that for living was there for the game against St. Louis on Saturday and Ryan Hardy, who's their AGM was there with Kyle Clifford, uh, which is unusual, but I think it was because they were playing the Kings and he's got friends on the Kings and it was a Marley's day off. So maybe he just came down to, you know, to the fat with Dowdy and, and, and Kopitar or something. I, I don't know, but, um, but um, they do play Buffalo twice in March. So you could write it off as, pre-game scouting, but I don't think it's that. Um, the Sabres have six unrestricted free agents um, 
most of them I would say are depth forward types, except for say Victor Olsen, but he's, you know, making close to 5 million bucks and he's not having a particularly good year. The guy I looked at uh, as a possibility for the Leafs would be Eric Robinson. And the reason I did uh, consider him is because with Yarrow Croak out and then with David Kampf out, you had Marner, Nylander, and Matthews killing penalties. That's nuts. You don't want those guys in, you know, no, no matter how good they might be at it, at, at that, you don't want them blocking shots. Tage Thompson was out for seven weeks blocking a shot, broke his hand in a game against Boston. You don't want, I mean, if they lose one of those key guys, I mean, that could cost them a playoff spot. So I thought, you know, like a minor deal, like an Eric Robinson, who's a fourth liner with size and speed, a good penalty killer, that would make sense. Eric Johnson, I'm sure the Sab- I'm sure the Sabres are looking to move him because they're not making the playoffs, and I'm sure the Leafs might be interested in him as a right shot and a veteran guy. But I think the Sabres are probably looking for something close to a second-round pick, and the Leafs don't have a second-round pick until the next millennium. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think a Robinson or maybe a, a Zemgus Gergensons, although I don't know if the Sabres will trade – a guy who's been with them for a dozen years to the enemy. And that's, and that's the reason why the Sabres and the Leafs will never make a major deal ever again, because if the, if the Sabres ever get robbed in a deal with the Leafs, their fan base will never let them never let, they'll never forgive them. So that minor deals like Eric Robinson for a fifth round pick. Sure. Because the guy is an unrestricted free agent. They're probably not going to re-sign him. But something other than something bigger than that, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I didn't think that there was really any options for big trades with the Sabres. I mean, you don't really see big divisional trades all that often to begin with. But on top of that, Buffalo doesn't really have the pieces I think the Leafs would need. I just found it interesting because I've been seeing the Sabres pop up a whole bunch. And, you know, when I sat back and thought about it, I was like, damn, this team really hasn't has there's been no trade activity between them. Um, and I also just totally just set in again that Zemgas Jurgensen is still playing for the Sabres. Mm. He's been he's been there since what 2013 now. Yes, yeah, that's a, in 2011. So yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean he was an unrestricted free agent in the summer, and they brought him back. I mean, you know, just a moment on the Sabres here. You know, you look at that team, and they missed the playoffs by a point, and they brought back the same team except for. Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton brought in a young goalie and Devin Levi and thought, Oh, we can make the playoffs. Everybody's a year older. Everything's going to be the same. No problems. Yeah. The problem is, is that they wanted to play better defensively and there are, they were an offensive team that nearly scored 300 goals and gave up 300 and they wanted to get better defensively and they can't walk and chew gum at the same time. They can't play two way hockey. They either play throttle wide open or they're playing really defensively responsible. When they're doing that, they don't score as much. So it's sort of like what the Leafs were three or four years ago when they tried to play really responsible hockey. Their offense sort of dropped off. That you you have to be what you are. And the Sabers are, I think, more of an offensive team. But they know that they're never going to win the Stanley Cup or maybe even make the playoffs unless they play more responsible defensively. So they're sort of stuck in that quandary. Last year, sorry, go ahead. No, go Andrew. No, you first. You first. I was just going to say, last year at the deadline, we saw Dubas go out and get guys like Ryan O'Reilly and and Nolachari, and obviously had to give up the first round pick to make that deal. But 
Um, there's been a lot of conversation this year about the, the depth on defense and the and the depth in goaltending and whether goaltending was going to be the issue for the Leafs this year. But it seems that having the the offseason acquisitions not really pan out the way they had hoped, that maybe depth scoring is, is one of their biggest issues. I mean, obviously, we saw McMahon put up a hat trick last uh, against uh, St. Louis, but you know, with with the the main four in the lineup, that's that hasn't been the the case so far this season. Could depth scoring be a focus for them at the deadline? I mean, bottom six forwards, if they can get something cheap. I mean, the the, the problem is that they're right up against the cap, and that that's the, the the main issue. If you're going to sort of allocate what little cap space you have, you would think that the um, you know the the uh, list would be defense first, uh, and then for then depth forward second. Goaltending, you've got three goalies. Um, to, to my mind, once Joseph Wall comes back, no matter you know how impressed you are with Samson off sort of reclaiming his himself after you know having a brain cramp for you know most of the first half of the season. Um, in my mind, Joseph Wall, if he's healthy, should be the goalie in game one of the playoffs and should be the playoff goaltender. He's the best of the three. You have to find out whether he can be the number one going forward. Um, but I like I, my personal uh, belief with this team is they're not winning the Stanley Cup. So don't trade your 2024 first round pick unless you're getting a defenseman back with term um, that you can hold on to for multiple years. Um, I don't think they're one defenseman away. I think they're two defensemen away. And I mean, that's, you know, going into the summer, you know, if you can re-sign Brody at, at less than $5 million, um, you know, which I think, you know, I, it's possible because he's 33 going on 34 and maybe he wants to stay in Toronto uh, for the remainder of his career. You need to go out and get yourself you know, Chris Tanev and maybe one other defenseman, um, you know, and then if you have McCabe and, you know, Lilligren or, or, you know, Simone Benoit as your bottom pairing, then you're talking about a defense that can make sure actually make a difference, but to waste assets to go out and get hole pluggers rentals at the deadline when you're, I mean, if you finish in third place in the division, you're playing Florida who's favored in that one. The Panthers. If you're if you finish in the first wild card, you're playing probably the New York Rangers. Who's favored in that one? The Rangers. If you finish in the second wild card, who are you playing? The Boston Bruins. Who's favored there? Good luck, folks. I I, I don't think there's a scenario where the leaps get out of the first round this year. I I hate to tell everybody. You know, everybody wants to plan the parade route on Young Street. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen this year. So, I mean, I think they keep their powder dry. You know, they, if anything, like if you could trade Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, I know he's got a no move clause, but if you could trade him and get some draft capital back, I would do it. I mean, the guy hasn't scored in 18 games, uh, but he might be able to do something someplace else. I mean, I think that the agenda for this team this year is to find out what they have in-house. Find out what Matthew Nyes is, what Nick Robertson is, what your young defensemen are, and what Joseph Wall is. And if they succeed, that's great. And if they don't, then you know you have some more work to do. Yeah, I, I think, think I think one goal for uh, Bertuzzi dating back to November 24th. So that's 30 games, 31 games, I believe. It's, yeah, I've I've been of the belief for most of the season, like well, that's why I say most that I I 
that Bertuzzi can be a second half player, but every game that goes by, it just gets <laughs> harder and harder to defend. And it's like, it, it, we're going from second half player to, okay, is he a fourth quarter player? player? <laughs> yeah. Is he, is I mean, he a playoffs game seven kind of guy or what? Because he had That's, like four um, glorious chances in that game against uh, the Blues, and it was just, you, you got to feel bad for the guy at this point. Like he, he looked like Mikheyev. He looked like Mikheyev on that yeah. uh, on that breakaway. Just he's trying hand. everything. He's trying everything, even cutting his hair. I mean, I know he yeah. gave it. I know he gave it away to a uh, to a I think a, cl- a cancer clinic, and that's that's a that's mm-hmm. you know great that's great but i think he also did it because i got to change up my luck here somewhere and and, and nothing is working right you know it's uh it's going to be an interesting trade deadline if nothing else because in terms of how we can compare it to previous years it feels a lot like the 2019 20 deadline right before the covid shutdown happened because i remember having the same conversation with people at the time it was right after i think the trade deadline was the monday after that that game against the hurricanes where they lost to the to david Ayers, and i remember talking to people and saying you know this team has not shown that they're they're worth massive upgrades i think it's just kind of on them to figure it out but the difference in previous years is that we had kyle dubas as the gm and when dubas is the gm you kind of pick up on the patterns of the type of players he likes to acquire and you know how he spends his assets and stuff Brad living deadline has not happened in Toronto yet. So I am interested to see how that all plays out. And who knows, maybe, maybe this is wishful thinking, but maybe this is a, a, a Panthers situation from last year where, you know, I remember Sam Reinhardt saying we've been playing playoff hockey since like mid-March. Maybe this is something the Leafs need. They've been, they've been kind of handed a regular se- or a playoff berth, a uh, top three seed for the past couple of years. And it hasn't really amounted to much besides that one series win. So we'll have to see. Anything is possible. I mean, if they're playing meaningful, meaningful games and not just playing out the string in late March and early April, April, maybe, you know, maybe the, the Panther effect w- will help. But um, I don't know. Um, I think that right now, you know, things on defense are sort of a hodgepodge, even before the Riley suspension, you know, you've got that number one pairing of Riley and Brody and, you know, on a good, on a, a, a better defensive core. TJ Brody is a second pairing defenseman, but he's forced to play with Riley and they're, they're a good pairing, but I think they're overworked. And then you, I mean, who in their mind had Simone Benoit playing on the second pairing? I mean, I, I give the guy a lot of credit. Um, he's played well above my expectations. I thought he was going to be a Marley for the most of the year. And he, he has played better than I thought he could ever play. Do I think he's a top four defenseman? No way. He's just, he, he would be a great five or six. And if he's a five or six, if they re-sign him, which I think they will, uh, if he's a bottom pairing guy next year, I, that that's fine. He provides some size. He, he sticks up for his teammates. You know, he does a lot of things that I think a lot of Lee fans like, but what they need, they need two top four defensemen, and they're not going to get that before March the 8th. So, I mean, if they can find a bargain out there, you know, we know what Brad Terliving likes. He likes big, tough defensemen. That's why, you know, there's a good chance that they sign Zadorov in the summer. Uh, there's a good chance they bring in Tanev. You know, they were supposedly in on Matt Dumba before they uh, signed John Klingberg, who was not a big, tough defenseman, but they wanted to, to lower the ice time of Morgan Riley and take some of the defensive response or the power play responsibilities away from him. Uh, and then that was a disaster because of the injury. But, you know, th- we know where they need to improve. But the big question in the summer is how are they going to allocate their funds and what are they going to do about 
the situation that, you know, all of a sudden you're going to have William Nylander making 11.5 million and uh, Austin Matthews making 13.25 million and another year still of Marner and Tavares. And how are you going to fit the improvements of that team with less than 40 or around $40 million? It's going to be really tough. Mike, so the direction that the Maple Leafs are going is probably going to be a little bit cheaper and filling out the depth. But if there is that one big move that they can't say no to, then there there is reason because there is reason to believe that they could move there first. But it seems like it's going to be the former rather than the latter because it's going to take a lot to do that. Um, some names that have been going out there or been thrown out there are, you know, Alexei Toropchenko, uh, Matt Roy. I know Andrew Forbes wrote about him, and uh, obviously Michael Maze has been on the Toropchenko train all season, and even Colton Pareko as a possibility as a top four defenseman to bring in. Obviously, three different scenarios, three different players. Who is one name that you would like them to see, whether it be big or small? Well, okay, just clicking off those, Pareko would have to be a summer move because I don't know how the hell, you know, Brandon Pridham, you know, would have to, you know, have his magic wand because, you know, they they have no cap space, money in, money out. I mean, a Bertuzzi would have to be part of it because he's making five and a half million bucks, but he's got a no move clause and he probably won't waive it. So, um, you know, and, and obviously the Nylander uh, situation is over with because once he signed the extension, the no move clause kicked in so you couldn't trade him. That's the old uh, Mike Richards, Jeff Carter rule from the Philadelphia Fly- and James Van Riemsdyk rule from the uh, Flyers days. So um, now Pareko is the wrong type of big defenseman. He's a big defenseman who's a skilled defenseman. He is not overly tough and physical. He did play that way in 2019 when they won the Stanley Cup. But what the Leafs are looking for is Alex Petrangelo and not Colton Pareko in terms of the type of defenseman that they need. But that guy is not available. Um, Torpchenko, I mean, I love his size and he's got some ability and he's being utilized mostly as a fourth liner there. I mean, there's value there. I mean, you could fit him in because I believe he's making less than a million dollars. I mean, I don't think St. Louis is going to give him away because I think they see some ability there. Um, Matt Roy is, um, I believe he's a UFA at the end of the year, but he's, he's making around 3 million bucks. So again, it's money in money out. How are you going to fit it? Um, I mean, I connect uh, the Leafs with Dumba because they were interested in Dumba during the su- during the summer, and he's on a one-year deal. Arizona is still, I guess, in the mix. I don't think they're really in the mix, but they're still they think they're in the mix. And while they still think they're in the mix, they'll keep him. But as you get close to closer to March the eighth, they'll probably want to sell him off, and he's making less than four million bucks. So um, again. Brandon Pridham has to work his magic there, but it's possible. Um, but I, if if there was a guy that they're going to bring in, um, it, I would think it would be a Dumba, but I don't think Dumba is going to cost you a first-round pick. The problem is he's more of a second-round pick type of deal, and they don't have second-round picks. So the only way they can make that deal is if they trade somebody out to get a second-round pick and then flip it to get – a Dumba. And that's a lot of maneuvering. It's not above Brad for living to do that because he may, he's good at making trades and he has a lot of contacts throughout the league. 
I just think it's a lot of maneuvering for a team that just isn't one player away. And that's why, I mean, if you're going to keep that 2024 first round pick to make a deal, maybe you do that at the draft and you get somebody when you're, when you have capped flexibility and you get somebody who's got some term left, man, maybe then that that's, that's the time they trade for a Pareko or some defenseman like that. But I just don't see the big move coming before the deadline. We, uh, we talked about it last week, and, and when the Leafs traded Rasmus Sandin, they kind of made the call that they're going to stick with Timothy Lilligren and uh, Alex and myself, and I think Peter was on the same same boat as us. We weren't ready to jump off the Lilligren Hill yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the Leafs have given up on, on players far too early a number of times in the past. Where are you with Timothy Lilligren? Is, is this a case of getting him more playing time and seeing what he's got, or – are we are we heading into the back nine of his leaf career? We could be because if it was Kyle Dubas, I think there would still be the patience there because he's a right shot defenseman, and you've got two years of control still left before he's an unrestricted free agent. Remember, you know he was coming off his ELC and he signed the two year deal at one point, I think one point four million. So he's got another two years until he's a UFA. Now, right-hand defensemen are tough to find in this league. So that's why I would give him a little more time than the normal player. The thing with him is that high ankle sprain that occurred early in the year with Marchand, which, oh, by the way, he didn't get suspended for. Um, You know, that's an injury. He came back after, I think, six or seven weeks and he has not really – he's played okay, but he hasn't played great, and he did not, did not have a good game uh, against uh, Ottawa or against St. Louis. So I, I understand the questions out there about what you know what is going on here. Um, they're going to have to make a decision because they believe he's an RFA after this season, and they're going to have to pay him more. But he hasn't had the type of season where he's going to earn a ton of money. So um, it's just a question of whether Brad for a living likes – what he sees and whether Sheldon Keefe is the coach. And that question, you know, we don't know about because it's going to, I think, depend on playoff success. And if it's a new coach coming in, then it's going to be, you know, does he like the type of defenseman that Timothy Lilligren is? So everything is up in the air. I'm willing to give him more of an opportunity, but I can understand the point of view of the franchise where, you know, a new GM coming in, possibly a new coach coming in. If Keefe doesn't get, uh, another year or so, and they want to make a change. I mean, he might be the price that they pay to get another defenseman from another team, and they say, okay, well, we can pay him two million bucks the next couple of years, and he's a young defenseman with a lot of ability. Let's see. So, I mean, I'm sort of up in the air. I would give him more of, more of an opportunity. Well, Mike, uh, obviously there's a lot to kind of throw at you right now when it comes to the uh, the Leafs and, and what they're going to do with the deadline and heading into the, uh, the offseason again. Um, we appreciate you coming on again, and uh, we hope we can get you on at uh, some point down the road for for another uh, another bit on uh, Sticks in the Six. Anytime, guys. Just let me know. Appreciate it, Mike. Absolutely. Have a good night. Take it Thanks easy, Mike. On. Well, boys, uh, Mike Agello from Hockey Buzz, and uh, obviously he's got a lot of great insight when it comes to the Maple Leafs. Um, sort of on the same page with us when it comes to the, the, Riley, uh, the Riley suspension and, and where the Leafs are headed. Uh, he made some great points about, uh, you know, where the Leafs are at cap-wise and what what they can do in season. 
kind of falls into that uh, that conversation, Peter, about what uh, Frank Saravelli brought up when it comes to uh, you know Noah Hannafin and 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 is there a possibility that Noah Hannafin could become a Leaf? I you know I just think like Mike said, there's a lot of a lot of juggling that would have to go on in the front office mm-hmm. to figure that one out. Um, but otherwise, yeah, a lot of great insight. Maple Leafs have a lot of work to do as they come into that March, uh, March 8th deadline. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, but, uh, never, never bet against the Leafs because you'll never know, uh, never know what, uh, what they could do. And as you said, Alex, we don't know exactly what Brad true living is going to bring when it comes to the deadline. And with that, a quick word from our fantastic sponsors at DraftKings Sportsbook. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw down a futures on the uh, on the, the Stanley Cup winners. I've got Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, threw down a little, little money on them as a future to see what they uh, – See what they uh, can do come playoff time. Download this, the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. Well, boys, anything more you took from Mike's uh, Mike's interview or anything you wanted to add to the show before we close it out for the week? Uh, I got nothing to add personally. Sorry, I had to turn my camera off and my mic off there because I heard a very loud fight taking place outside of my apartment. Um, Beautiful. <laughs> like not, not like a, not like a, not like a physical, like dangerous one, just a very loud shouting match. So, um, of course, <laughs> of as soon cat, as I turned the cats. mic off, as soon as I turned the mic off and I looked outside, uh, there was nothing there. So who knows? Hopefully that's, uh, that couple's doing okay. Um, <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, I don't really have much to take from uh, that interview. Always a good time talking to uh, talking to Mike, and uh, uh, you always it's uh, it's kind of cool to have that connection because obviously I'm in Niagara right now, and he's he he kind of he covers the two teams that are right kind of in my wheelhouse where I am right now. So interesting take about how about Eric Robinson. He's not someone that I really considered for the fourth line, but I. I kind of like what I see out of him. I think that could be a that could be a worthwhile depth addition. But uh, mm-hmm. obviously, if we sit here and speculate on Eric Robinson for the next four weeks, it's going to be a very dry, uh, very dry couple of a uh, very dry. You heard moment. it here first. Sticks in the six is breaking. The Leafs are going to get Eric Robinson. That's right for a fifth round pick. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Peter, how about you, buddy? Yeah, same thing. Um, Eric Robinson is definitely one name that has been flying under the radar. And, you know, you take a note of that speed and size. That's the big thing that the Maple Leafs want to add to that fourth line. So that could be in their wheelhouse. But the big thing for me is the opportunity for Lilligren or where he stands on Lilligren too, kind of in the same wheelhouse as us. But 
seems like with every game that he has, it seems like what it, what kind of player is he going to be at the NHL level? Because if the Maple Leafs still have hope that he's going to be a second pairing kind of guy, then they need to give him the more minutes and more opportunity. But when he gets those minutes and opportunities, it's not quite the same. He tends to overthink things. He needs to simplify his game a little bit more. But if he's just going to be in the third line or third pairing role, the Maple Leafs may have better options for that. And there come there may be a point where, you know, Topi Nimala killing it in the AHL with the Marlies right now in his first season. How much longer are they going to put more faith in him than Lilligren and move on from him because they feel like they got more with Nimala with more upside in that regard, or if they look uh, elsewhere out in the, the trade market off season, next season, or in the next two seasons. Um, interesting to see how that's going to unfold as well, because he's definitely one of those players that you need to keep an eye on right now. Well, boys, you heard it from Mike. The Leafs are two pieces away, not just one from uh, making a, a push for the Stanley cup. And it'd be interesting to see how Alex said, uh, if, if they can get that Panther effect, play playoff hockey down the stretch and maybe, maybe burn a couple series and come playoff time. But we got, we got a fun few weeks ahead of us heading into the deadline, seeing what Brad, Brad Trilliving has up his sleeve. Uh, aside from that, folks, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining in tonight on Sticks in the Six on the Hockey Podcast Network. Big shout-out to Andy Alehouse. Big shout-out to DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Hit us up on all the socials. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. We're coming in on that century mark. Next week, boys, it's episode 150. If you're looking for tickets anywhere, go to SeatGeek. Use code sticks in the six to get $20 off your first purchase and make sure you check out the show description. If you want to customize your hockey gear, go to no name hockey. There's a link down in the uh, show description uh, to get you a good deal on customization of your hockey stick, your curve, whatever you want, the whole shaft. It's uh, it's good to go your way. So with that boys, episode 149 in the books, we'll hit it back next week for episode 150. That's all we got for you here on sticks in the six.